Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. State troopers have solved a 24-year-old sexual assault and homicide case in Sitka. DNA evidence pointed investigators to a 66-year-old man living in Arkansas who took his own life last week shortly after Alaska investigators arrived to question him. KCAW's Robert Woolsey has more on the story. But first, a warning. Some details might not be appropriate for all listeners. Jessica Baggin disappeared sometime after midnight on May 4, 1996, walking home from her 17th birthday party. The news was devastating, as over the course of the next two days, an intensive search turned to sorrow. This is Major Dave Hansen of the Alaska State Troopers. On May 6th, searchers found the shirt that Jessica had been wearing when she was last seen alive. Less than two hours later, Jessica's body was recovered approximately 70 feet off a bike path parallel to Sawmill Creek Road. She had been discarded and hastily buried in a hollowed out area beneath the trunk of a large fallen tree. Jessica had died just a few blocks from home on a well-used and visible route in the very heart of Sitka, just across the street from the Alaska Department of Public Safety Training Academy. Hansen spoke during a Facebook live stream announcement from the troopers on the afternoon of Tuesday, August 11th. In 2018, investigators applied a new technique in genetic genealogy developed by a company called Parabon to the genetic evidence found with Jessica's body. It led them to 66-year-old Steve Allen Branch of Austin, Arkansas. The pieces fell into place from there. Investigators established that Branch had lived in Sitka at the time of Jessica's murder. The cold case unit also learned that in March of 1996, only a few weeks prior to Jessica's murder, the Sitka Police Department had investigated Branch for sexually assaulting another teenage female. He was indicted and arrested for the incident in June of 1996, but was subsequently acquitted after a trial in 1997. Investigators from the Alaska Bureau of Investigation flew to Arkansas and interviewed Branch at his home. Hansen says that Branch denied any involvement in the Baggin case and declined to provide a DNA sample. From there, the story took a grim turn. Only 30 minutes after the Alaska investigators departed the residence, Branch committed suicide. The investigation into Branch's death, which was conducted by the Lone Oak County Sheriff's Office in Arkansas, determined conclusively that Branch had shot himself. Okay, it's just been a long time solving this case. Galen Payne was the public defender in Sitka in 1997. And I feel deeply for the family. Uh, It's been an incredibly difficult road. And this doesn't make the pain go away, but it does at least answer some questions. Payne defended the man originally accused of Baggins' murder, Richard Bingham, a maintenance worker at Sheldon Jackson College, Bingham had mental deficiencies, and Payne proved his confession had been coerced. Police were exceptionally anxious to find the perpetrator, and unfortunately centered in on a basically vulnerable person. Steve Branch's suicide creates an area of legal uncertainty around his actual guilt in the matter. In technical terms, Baggins' case is closed by exception, as there will never be a trial. Department of Public Safety Commissioner Amanda Price said that this matter has haunted her organization for the last two decades. 
and she is proud of their work. While Branch will never face a jury of his peers in this case, we can finally say that Jessica's case is solved. Price said that the genetic genealogy methods used to find Jessica Baggins' killer will continue to be applied by investigators, meaning, quote, there is no amount of time that can pass that a case cannot be a priority for this department. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Following Monday's news of the first confirmed case of coronavirus in Cake, the neighboring southeast community of Angoon is now requiring face coverings in most public places. They've joined cities and communities across Alaska with local mask requirements, including Juneau, Anchorage, Gustavus, and Tenakee Springs. KCEW's Aaron McKinstry has more. Angoon Mayor Joshua Bowen issued an emergency order on Monday, August 10th, requiring face coverings or masks in public buildings, businesses, and churches, as well as public outdoor spaces where social distancing is difficult to maintain. That includes the ferry terminal and the Alaska Seaplane Base, which provide the only links to the rest of the state. The order does not apply to members of the same household or when employees can maintain six-foot distancing from one another in an office building. There are also exceptions for children under two and individuals that can't wear masks because of health issues or disabilities. Bowen says he'd been thinking about issuing the order for a while. I've had it ready to put out for a little while now, but um, I've just been counting on people to do the right thing and to wear their masks without being mandated to do so. But the tipping point came earlier in the day when a resident of the nearby community of Cake tested positive for the coronavirus. Additionally, the village's local tribe, the Angoon Community Association, had started to strongly encourage face coverings. And an Alaska Marine Highway System employee on the ferry Lacanti tested positive over the weekend. The Lacanti services the small Admiralty Island village of around 450 people. How the order will be enforced is a question that many communities with mask requirements have faced, especially in places with limited local law enforcement like Angoon. The order doesn't allow for private citizens to harass other citizens who aren't wearing masks. That's the, the not fun part of these things, enforcement. Bowen says the city can issue a $500 fine for noncompliance, but he doesn't plan to do so unless absolutely necessary. So far, he says public feedback has been positive and they haven't had any major issues. The city used CARES Act funds to make and distribute masks to all residents a few months ago, and the tribe has some available and is making more. The Angoon Community Association actually ordered a bunch of sewing machines and materials, and they will be going into production of masks here very soon. Angoon is also considering requiring all incoming travelers to self-quarantine upon arrival, something they'll discuss at an upcoming city council meeting. Alaska's reopening plan allows communities to enact stricter travel restrictions as long as people traveling for critical personal needs or as part of essential services or critical infrastructure are not subject to automatic quarantine or isolation upon arrival. The mask order is in effect until September 15th or until rescinded by the city council. There are no confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Angoon. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. It's unclear whether communities on the road and Alaska Marine Highway systems are legally allowed to issue title, tighter travel restrictions. The state's reopening guidelines appear to conflict with State Mandate 18, which says that only communities with no road or ferry access can enact local travel restrictions. Eight candidates are vying for two open seats on the Sitka Assembly this fall, 
One of them is Frederick Olson, Jr. KCAW's Catherine Rose spoke with Olson to find out why he's throwing his hat into the proverbial ring. Frederick Olson, Jr. moved to Sitka two years ago, but he grew up in southeast Alaska. Born in Ketchikan, and, and then my family moved to Juneau, graduated from Juneau Douglas High School. Then I went to Seattle University. My, my Haida name, Kisgansi, it means place of one's own. You know, on my dad's side, our family is Haida. And in the Kasan area, you know, go back time immemorial. Professionally, Olson leads the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission, a coalition of 15 federally recognized tribes that's tasked with addressing major industrial development across borders, mostly mining in British Columbia. Olson says the goal is to both collaborate with the industry and push for changes. We're working against very old laws that are very favorable, you know, to the industry. But, you know, now it's 2020. And we know that we live on this little place in space, and we need to take care of it. And Olson has some experience in government, too. He moved to Kassan on Prince of Wales Island when he was working on a project to preserve native languages, but he ended up running for local office. He served on the tribal council of the organized village of Kassan. He then served three terms on the Kassan City Council and took one big lesson away from those experiences. You really need to listen. You have to listen to the other people on the council, but then you really need to listen to the people that you're working for, you know, the citizens. But he ended his last city council term in Kassan early when he moved to Sitka in 2018, which he says he did for love. He's engaged to Blossom Twitchell, who's running for a full term on the Sitka school board. Olson says if he's elected, he won't come to the assembly table with any preconceived notions. He knows it's a tough job. He says his biggest priority is to listen and be willing to collaborate. You know, we can work together. We don't have to fight. That doesn't mean we can't talk about difficult things, but you don't have to be difficult. He says the coronavirus will make serving in a local leadership role more challenging, but he says he wants to help out as the city navigates uncharted waters in the coming year. It's a very important time to work together. This is not a time to only think of ourselves or our own family. You know, we do have to look out for our family, but we need to work together for all of our families. Olson is running for one of two open assembly seats being vacated by members Richard Wien and Stephen Eisenbeis. Sitka's municipal election is October 6th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The Sitka Assembly is moving forward with plans to build a marine haul-out at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park. When the Assembly met last night, it allocated $100,000 to cover engineering consulting expenses for the project's design. The group also passed an emergency 